0: <تصفيق> السلام عليك اي كزاينام السلام عليك بسم الله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا ان هدانا الله اللهم صلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد مفتاح باب رحمه الله على ما في علم الله صلاة والسلام دائمين بدم ملك الله wa wa Alhamdulillah, when we say Alhamdulillah that we should really mean from the bottom of our hearts that we absolutely recognize is that all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the one who is absolutely deserving of praise. And were we to try to enumerate even a single blessing of our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala that absolutely from every perspective and from every aspect we would be absolutely unable to do it it is only allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who encompasses all knowledge encompasses knowledge of all things in every aspect and every detail this is his name subhanahu wa ta'ala the enumerator and muhsi is that he knows everything from every single aspect from every single dimension subhanahu wa ta'ala and all we can do is just to do our best and that part of gratitude is not only giving shukr with the lisan, with our tongue, but also giving shukr with al janan, with our hearts, and giving shukr with our arkan. All of our limbs and in using what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us for his sake and in a way that is pleasing to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why one of the most oft-repeated du'as that we heard our teachers make, "O oh Allah, bless me to always be where you've commanded me to be. And bless me to never be where you have forbidden me from being. Bless me always to be where you've commanded me to be. When it's time to pray that our Lord sees us in the ranks, preferably in congregation, in the very beginning part of the prayer, not missing the Takbir to ihram, if possible, that throughout our lives, remaining firm in this, lest we forget the very first thing that we have been, we will be judged upon is our prayer. We want this to be the compass whereby which everything else is directed in our lives. We want this to be the pivot based that base everything else is based upon. Is that our prayer is that what should be our primary occupation throughout our life. And that this is that if we find ourselves giving preference to our prayer and making it a priority in our life, this is one of the greatest signs of sa'adah. And when we do this, our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will give us tawfiq in other aspects of our lives and He will give us divine facilitation for not only praying but preserving our prayer. al ala salat and All of these great ways of referring to the importance of establishing the prayer and preserving the prayer for our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in this context is that these beautiful words that we've heard that telling us about what we truly are as human beings, is that it's not our physical bodies that make us human, is that there are many other things that we share with in creation that also has physical bodies. There's other things that grow, plants grow, just as human beings grow, is that we have many functions that are similar to that of animals. But what makes us unique is the fact that Allah wa ta'ala has gifted us a heart that can know Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing can encompass our Lord, but this heart is special in so far as it is a mirror that when it is polished, is it can have reflected in it the highest of all meanings when the veil is lifted, that it can come to know what nothing else in creation can know, which is our Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, who can't be encompassed by anything, but it is the heart that can come to know our Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what truly makes us human, because as it once you strip away the color of someone's skin, once you strip away all of these outward considerations, and that even if we were to cut off someone's arms and their legs, and they were to be burnt from head to toe, there would be a reality to that human being. Even if they that had nothing left with them except what was absolutely essential for their life, that would still be a human, not by virtue. "...of any outward consideration, rather, by virtue of something much deeper within them, and this is their heart, and what is connected in the heart is connected to the spirit." And you could see it as layers, or you could see it as that various dimensions, just as outwardly that we are composite beings, likewise inwardly we are also composite beings." And the heart has a connection to alam al-shahada just as it has a connection to the alam al-ghayb. It is connected to the outward realm and to the inward realm. The seen realm and the unseen realm... And the more that we give victory to our spirit, which is the connection of the heart to the unseen realm, is that the greater that we will be able to exist here in the earth doing what it is that Allah Ta'ala has commanded us to do and that our connection will become that with the means that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala has created is that less of a connection whereby which that we are plagued by being immersed in the means. The more we give victory to the Spirit, the more that pliable the means become. The more facilitated that the means become. We were discussing this on Tuesday when we were talking about tawakkun. And one of the secrets of reliance upon Allah and placing our trust in them is that you're never going to leave the means. However, is that your relationship with the means will change. The means will not overcome you. Is that you will be allowed to be able to exist in not always times living the most luxurious lifestyle. But you will find divine facilitation in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. You'll find divine facilitation in that achieving what it is that you need to achieve from that your worldly life. But we also that need to understand is that these great tra- traits of the character, how can we learn them? This is the question that you and I have to ask ourselves. Is that when you want to become a professional of some sort... We know there is a road for you to become a professional, that you go and receive an education, you receive some type of training if you want to, that excel in a particular craft or in a trade or that you want to become a professional of some sort. There's a way of going about doing that. But why is it that we don't ever consider in relation to our dean, what it is that we need to do to be people of character? And that ultimately be people who are carrying the banner of La ilaha Muhammad who benefit other people first and foremost with their spiritual state before the words that they utter from their tongue. Their very presence affects people that are around them. We used to hear from our teachers is that there is a rank of wilayah that is known of the Ashab al Anfas, literally the possessors of breaths. Is that when they breathe in a particular land, it is a means for the iman of the people in that land to become firm, just by virtue of their taking a breath in that land. And when these type of people walk upon the face of the earth in these particular lands, is that something changes. And we shouldn't find this far-fetched, lest we forget that our Prophet himself, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam al-Hakim he mentions. In his Kitab Al-Il, that the reason is that tayyamum is permissible. The dry ablution for the Ummah of our Prophet was simply that blessed body of his touched the earth. And it had an impact worldwide such that we can now use earth, even though it's a weak form of purification in the Shafi'i school, that it's still a form of purification. The blessing of the Prophet's hand, that touching the earth, this is the first thing that he did. Is that he came out of his mother's womb and that he did not have an umbilical cord and he went into prostration. There's differences of opinion about what it is that he said. But that's the first thing that he did was to go into prostration. From that moment that that blessed and pure body of his touched the earth, is that not only did the earth become pure such that we could use it for dry ablution, is that جُعْتَ جُعْتَ the earth also became a masjid. It became a place of prayer. Wherever you are that you can pray. Whether you are that in an airport, whether you are that in the open desert, that whether you are at school, whether you are at work, whether you need to stop at some parking lot, in some business park, when you're traveling from point A to point B, the entire earth is a masjid for the Rasul wasallam and his ummah by virtue of his blessed body touching the earth and by extension, the great inheritors of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Is that they're gifted something of this specific type of inheritance Is that when they go places When they touch things Physically and metaphorically speaking And there are some Is that don't even have to physically go to a place It's enough just to mention something to them and from the blessing of their heart inclining towards that thing, they are so honorable in the sight of Allah Jalla جل is that He moves that which is in the universe to serve them and to make that thing happen by virtue of it just being mentioned. There are servants of Allah like this. And if you don't think that this is the case, is that we need to learn more about the awliya of Allah because what are we ultimately learning when you learn about the awliya of Allah? You are learning about specific aspects of the prophetic inheritance that usually goes beyond the dhahir. Yes, is that they also inherit the Prophet in relation to his knowledge, in relation to his character traits, but there's other ways that they inherit from the Rasul sallam. And one of the greatest ways is their concern for people and how much they love people And the empathy that they show towards people and the concern that they have towards people. These great people of Allah were not to be that these hearts are still here on the face of this earth, is that the realities of (laughs) La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulallah would not reach us. And this is very real. And these things actually do happen. And they mention in the books of the awliya is that every time that you even talk about the righteous, it's one of the greatest ways for mercy to descend. We've all heard that. And the Dhikr al salihin Tanzir al-Rahman. But one of them, it was actually unveiled for him what actually happens. What is the true nature of this mercy that he likened it to a cloud? Just as before it rains, unless it reaches 100% humidity and it just falls out of the sky when it's sunny, usually that there are rain clouds that then that drop droplets of rain. That upon us. And likewise in the unseen. Is that the way that mercy descends. Is that they liken it to a cloud. And when that cloud. That will then. That drop that spiritual rain. On the hearts of people. Is that amazing things happen. And this is the source of all good. For every Muslim and every non-Muslim. And anyone who receives that rain. Is that will benefit from it. And then people are different. Some people will. Openly receive that rain. Other people that it will touch them but it won't penetrate. And other people have various degrees of blocking it. Our job is to ask for mercy for everyone. And who Allah Ta'ala shows and gives mercy to, that's in His perfect knowledge to Barak wa ta'ala. That we have nothing to do with this affair. If our Lord said this to Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Saint, no, what about you and I? Laysa Amri you have nothing to do with this affair. Your only job is to convey, is to be the way that it is that we're supposed to be, and to uphold these great ethical principles of our deen. And in that regard, we've been discussing for these past mawadid, this blessed concept of futuwa, spiritual chivalry. And that we've reached that the discussion of one of the very, very important traits, which is the openness that we have to show good hospitality and to honor our guests. And to show generosity to our guests. And this is why the Imam Sulemi says, Qira' wa Ikram al It is from futuwa to show good hospitality. Qira', Not just hospitality, good hospitality. al To honor your guests. Or you could say, to be generous to your guests. And there are multiple narrations where our Prophet started his blessed words with "men akhir," And this is reminiscent of the divine address. "ya وَالَّذِينَ amanu. O oh, you who believe, O oh, you who believe. How many times does this repeat in the Qur'an? And this should move us at the depth of our being and stir up the iman and faith that is in us so that then we hear, as Ibn Abbas said, what is going to be said? It's either going to be an amr or a nahi, a command or a prohibition. And are we from those, فَلِسْتَجِيبُ لِي that quickly hasten to respond to the call of Allah and to put it into practice or to avoid it? Reminiscent of this divine address, our Prophet says, Whoever believes in Allah in the last day. And there's multiple narrations. One of them says, Fala Let him not harm his neighbor. The neighbor has an immense right upon us. To the extent that our Prophet said is that Gabriel continued to advise me to take care of my neighbor until that I thought that he was going to grant him a share in my inheritance. Subhanallah. And then the Prophet went on to say, And whoever believes in Allah on the last day, then let him show good hospitality to his guests. This is from the affair of the believer, is that we should love having guests. And I would say, in general, the more traditional the people, that is, the more that they are that less affected and infected by the modern world, is that the more generous they tend to be. And this is in a sense a universal, and you find this, that throughout the world if you travel. But I do think even despite that fact, is that Muslims are the most generous people. It really is something amazing. I remember first after converting, and that disappearing into the Muslim world for extended periods of time, And people in my own family wondering, like, how are you surviving, (laughs) right? This is so strange because in their mind when they travel, okay, I'm going to, you're going to be gone for 10 days. The hotel is going to cost at least $75 a night. The meals are going to cost this amount and that they do the math. And I know you only have $300 in your bank account and you're poor and 19 or 20 years old and have no money and don't have a job and left college. So there's no way for you to survive. But they don't realize, subhanAllah, when you go to these places that I remember that Mauritanians, and this is the first place I went, would get offended if you didn't spend like a week with them. I remember arriving to Nawakshah and that just itching to get to, and actually literally itching, because I slept the first night without a mosquito net and woke up in the morning and made wudu well do and saw red dots all over my white pasty skin and I thought I was breaking out with something and it turns out I got eaten alive because it was mosquito season and literally there were so many they were on top of each other. So I literally was itching but I wanted to get to go see a marab. and they're like, what's wrong with you? Why are you in such a hurry? (laughs) You know, it was like one of the last books I read before becoming Muslim was Mutant Message Down Under. I highly recommend everyone reads this book. It actually is a very good book. And your children should all read the book as well. And that it's about this lady who goes on a walkabout. And she thinks that she's going to Australia to, for a business meeting. But it turns in Divine Oneness has arranged for her to go on a walkabout with the Aborigines. And the whole story that now I understand it to be a story of the fitra, And there's a lot of good meanings in that book to this day. And about how she at first is fighting it. And that she has to learn how to submit. And all of these things that happen. It really is a story that I related to. That in a very deep way, just before I converted. It was the last book I read before I converted. And I felt that it was very, very real. Because that's what I was experiencing. That I felt something was fundamentally wrong with the way that the modern world had become and there was something deep down inside me, without me realizing that I even need to search for something, that I needed something that was going to fulfill me much beyond the outward superficial level of that the flesh and of that the worldly dimension. There's something deeper that I was looking for. And Allah Taala <laughs> then blessed me to become Muslim and actually physically go to a place that there are many places in that book that then from even the thorns that used to prick us, in the Mauritanian sand that was actually that specifically mentioned in this book. Anyhow, is that there's something about this deen that speaks to the reality of the human being. And it speaks to who we really are. And if I that get back on topic, is that loving to serve guests and to that take care of guests. This is one of the great traits of the people of spiritual chivalry. And that our Prophet ﷺ, this was a part of his nature from even before he received prophecy. And this amazing quote by his blessed wife Sayyidah Khadija. This right here is the minhaj. If you want a prophetic methodology to actualize what that Sheikh Nur Hussain uh, about this importance of that calling our people to the deen, this is what needs to be done. Because when our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi came back after receiving his first revelation, and revelation is powerful. It affected the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi deeply, but he came back to a strong woman, Sayyidah Khadijah, who already believed that he was the Prophet of God. She knew he was the prophet of God. She was expecting him to be the prophet of God. And she was the very first person to believe in him. It's an amazing story. And this is why the prophet loved her so dearly. Because she was completely selfless. And she was that did everything possible her entire life inwardly and outwardly. To dedicate herself to the Prophet's mission Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Such that the year that she passed along with the Prophet's uncle. Is that this became the Amul al Not just the Yawm al Or not just the Shahar of Huzan. Not just a day or a month. An entire year. Because he lost his beloved Sayyidah Khadija. His beloved wife. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And even when he was going to Fatmecca. What did he do? Is that even though she's in her grave, buried in Ma'la, just outside of Mecca, he pitched his tent near the grave of Sayyida Khadija. He used to give gifts to the friends of Sayyida Khadija, and that Subhanallah, he was devoted to her because she gave everything for him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Her wealth, she just gave out. And that that she just just gave it to that the Prophet ﷺ is that she covered him and she wrapped him and that she that made all the difficult things he was going through easy. So he comes back after receiving his first revelation ﷺ, and then he says the and this has to be understood correctly. He's describing the power of what the state that he was in because he received revelation he was in a word literally you would translate indeed that I fear for myself but the Prophet was guided by Allah Jalla جل Jalalu he was just describing his state but what did Sayyidah Khadijah say? Kalla wallah ma abadan this is absolutely amazing this is one of these that statements that needs to be written in gold and hung on your wall and read it daily. She said, by Allah, that Allah would never disgrace you. He would never let you down. Ever. Look at what she's doing. This is this is Sayyidina Khadija. Imagine this is the Prophet of God, just received revelation. Who is making him firm outwardly? She's a means, but out look at her, thabat. She's speaking to who? Rasulullah. And she's saying, No, Allah Jalla Jalalu, how could she speak with that level of conviction? If she didn't have iman in her heart, what kind of woman was this? She's speaking to the Prophet of God. Kalla, no, by Allah. Swearing an oath by Allah. Allah would never leave you. He would never disgrace you. And then she mentions five things about Rasulullah to prove that reality that she just testified to. The first is, إِنَّكَ al you maintain family ties. Second, wa ta'hmilul is that you bear the burden of others. And literally, tahmil means to carry something. And the wa huwa ala and that he is a burden upon that his master, the one who is kel, is the one who is reliant upon someone else. They're a burden on someone else because they have to carry them because they can't do it themselves. And that this is what that she says about the Prophet is that he literally carries those that who have no one else to take care of them. He puts them on his back, metaphorically speaking, and he bears the their burden on his own behalf. And then what teksibul ma'dum. Is that you give to the needy, but again, the Arabic is, is so much richer than the that very plain English translation. <coughs> that taksib is to earn, but it's also because it could another narration is tuksib, but even with the form qesabah, it also has the transitive meaning. Is that that you give literally is that the one who is ma'doom is one who has nothing. Adam al Mal, he lost all of his money. The ma'doom is the one who lost everything. He has nothing. He's in, he's in need and has nothing to do. And the Prophet him is that not only gives to them, is that he sets them up so that they can then make a living and gets them back up off of their feet so that they can then walk themselves. bil ma'doom is that you not only give to them is that you take care of them in such a way that they're now on their feet and that they're taking care of themselves. وَتَقْرِض This is number four. Is that you receive guests hospitably. And this is this trait that we're speaking about now in the context of فتوة. You receive guests hospitably. وَتُعِينُوا And you assist others In times of calamity. If you look at this right here, this is a minhaj, a methodology. And notice here, this is all from before he received prophecy. What does that mean? If our people here in these lands, and to reiterate time and time again, these are our people, that should be so obvious that we don't have to reiterate this. But unfortunately, there are so many foolish Muslims that create this us and them dichotomy these are our people we have to see it as such we have to see it as a part of our extended family in humanity and that see that there is an absolute obligation upon our shoulders to do whatever we can to help as many people as possible and the greatest way that we can help them is come to understand the truth of la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah sometimes explicitly if that door opens and at least implicitly that with the tongue of our state before the tongue of, of before our actual words. But this is when he received prophecy why so many people accepted from the Rasul because they knew this was his reality. And whether or not people accept what it is that we are saying this is how we should be. We should be people that maintain our family ties whether they're muslim or they're not muslim is that we should be that the way that we need to be and it's hard sometimes when you have non-muslim family members it's hard and converts will know this you find yourself in some very difficult situations because is that on one hand you have to preserve your deen and on the other is that you have to maintain your kinship bonds it's not easy And that at the same time, that this is of the utmost importance. We have to be there for our family. And there's something about the consistency that we can show when they delve into what they delve into. And they're fighting over inheritance. And they're fighting over this and that. And they're going through the vicissitudes of life. And their marriages break down. So if they see us consistent, and they see us with less ups and downs, and they see us Having an inner peace, even when we go through struggles, I guarantee you, unless their heart is so hard that it's been sealed, is that they'll realize something that you have. It might take 20 to 30 years, but usually they will see it over time. Our social responsibility to the people that are around us, that to the extent possible, and at least if we can't help people that more than we, than we are actually really doing, we should feel that we are shortcomers in our heart and at least make the intention to do so. And at least do that the bare minimum in relation to this. But if we were wise, is that we would develop a whole methodology as some communities have done in these very lands that we live in. This is part of their success story and why Islam has developed the respect that it has that in certain places. And I've been trying to find someone to write a book on this incredible incident that Abdul Qadir Wizwal told me because we were mentioning him tonight and about that starting the, the gatherings and he's been there from the very, very beginning. I do remember and that that the gatherings that started in Trenton and then when the Abdul Fakir moved here we used to do these gatherings on a weekly basis and there's only four or five people there. And he'd spend the night there, and there was a few people, Suleiman Parach, Abdel Qadir, his boys, and a couple other locals would come. But, is that he was that walking on the street, he was riding his bike one day, and his bike got a flat tire. So he went to the local that shopped to withdraw money. And it said on the ATM machine, withdraw money at your own risk. Hmm. So he got something like $20 just to pay for the bike repair. He walks outside and he feels like he's being followed. And he's on the phone and all of a sudden someone hits him from behind. Psh! Smacks him from behind. And his phone falls out of his hand. And he turns around and he's about to get jumped by about five guys. And that outwardly he wasn't dressing in a way that people knew he was Muslim. His first response was, what are you doing? I'm Muslim. Okay, think about this situation. They're about to jump him. They're about to rob him for the little that he had, right? And his first response is, what are you doing? I'm Muslim. And he said, the guy that hit him stopped, picked up his phone, handed it back to him and said, my bad. And they walked away. What is that? What on earth is that? Right? You could write an entire book about that. What has happened over the past decades that has given Islam this amount of respect in these places? If that's not prophetic in nature, then what is? And that we need to learn that we have a lot to do in other neighborhoods and in other areas to earn that same respect. That part of the reason that is the case is because of this. That these people in these communities have been doing this for so many decades and we're way behind And we need to learn from the good that's been done, that's given Islam that much respect in certain neighborhoods on the streets, not in some far off place in this very country in which we live. And this is not an isolated story. There's many stories that are like this. But to me, it's one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard because of the meanings that are behind it. But that took place because of the hard work that is behind it with meanings like this of taking care of the needy and bearing the burden of others and being in service of our people and showing hospitality and being generous to people and being there and showing our assistance to our people during times of calamity. If we would take these five things and really think that we need to put them into place in all of our communities and be known for this, the second part when we tell people about Revelation explicitly, is that they're going to be much, much more open because they've seen our reality. And our next door neighbor here who, that sold us his land, and that land was in his family for a long period of time, is that when our dear brother Aqil that was in the building here and one day that he came, is that he had mentioned that he had gotten a lot of heat from some of the people that are around him. Why did you sell it to them? Why did you sell it to the Muslims? And then he looked at Aqiyah and he said, you all are good people. He said, you all are good people. And no one's making any claims. But that's from the blessing of Ihtishambai's interactions with him, and Abdamadik's interactions with him, and all of the others. And there's a lot more that we could be doing, but that to me is a great testimony, is that if that was his response someone who was a very different type of person he's not very worldly or cosmopolitan in nature he's a farmer but a very good man and how open he was and what he's his that how how easy of a transition it was despite how beloved that property was to him for him to say that by getting heat by people in his social network is that no these are good people i don't care what you say that is a testimony and just a small example of the work that we need to do and the impact that we can have upon the people that are around us. And when you include that with what that, that Ustaz Noor mentioned, that with sincerity and truthfulness and patience, and you recognize this matter is not going to happen overnight, is that we have to put in work day in and day out, and day in and day out, and it's not going to spread like wildfire overnight, The Prophet ﷺ, it wasn't until (laughs) the (laughs) surah,